Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Manoa podcast here in episode four. Now, today I have another important episode talking about injury prevention, but also preparation of the body. If you've read the title of this episode, it's about returning to, returning to train uh, post-quarantine. And depending on where you are in the world, this may or may not be that big of a factor. If you're in Canada, this surely plays a big role because for most of us here in Canada, we haven't been able to play a sport since March. Now, this obviously depends on province to province. If you're in Ontario, 100%, you haven't even been allowed to go outside uh, for the last, I don't know, year and a bit. And I know that I'm not sure what's going on necessarily in other parts of the world, but I know that it's uh, the amount of um, training you can do has been severely limited. So if you've been out of it for a while and you heard that your sport's coming back this fall or just next season, 2020, uh, sorry, 2021, then now is the time to get back on the horse. Frankly, it should have been a few months ago, but we, we're here now. And if you've been training, but you're kind of struggling, this is also going to be an important episode because I'll be getting to some things that uh, you might be having issues with, with regards to how your body's feeling uh, in your sport. And then I'll be getting into how you can make some tweaks with your training to start uh, progressing in the right direction. Now, if if uh, you're looking to play your sport again and you've been inactive, trust me, now is the time to start if you haven't already, because the last thing you want is to start is to be excited about playing your sport, go play your sport, and then get super discouraged by the fact that your body can't handle it. It's going to get beat up. It's going to hurt. You're not going to be able to perform as well, and it might even put you out of love with your sport, and trust me, and that's, that's a terrible score. It scares the crap out of me. So now, like I said, I'll be going through some of the issues that you might be facing with regards to your body's capabilities at the moment, and then, of course, how you can uh, how you can solve that. So I've broken it down into seven areas that will require work once you begin training. So just to quickly run them off, then I'll get into how they've been affected uh, due to the inactivity. So there's locks of strength, atrophy, which is also known as decrease uh, in muscle size, Stiffness and lack of mobility, uh, stability, neural control of the body, I'll get into what that means, robustness and durability of the body, and conditioning and cardiovascular training. So, to begin with loss of strength. Now, this is an obvious one, but I think it requires the most attention because it affects so many things. It affects performance, uh, both in the kind of the general general aspect of just being able to move well, jump high, f- run fast, all these things, as well as uh, the sport-specific things. So... If you've lost strength, let's say you're a basketball player, if you've lost strength, you're not going to have the leg power to, the, to get enough drive to make your shot. If you're a football player, you're not going to be able to, uh, if you have to block someone or get blocked, you're not going to be able to handle the external force of the other individual on you, all these sorts of things. That's more of like the sport specific. It's going to affect stability as well, because as I'll get into, one component of stability is strength, is having is the stabilizer's in your, in your joints being strong enough to handle, you know, the external forces and just uh, general health. Because obviously, if you're not strong enough, it's dangerous. Being a weak athlete is a very dangerous thing. And it can lead you to the hospital more often than being a strong uh, athlete. The performance aspect is going to be a lot to do with speed and explosiveness. To be fast, you have to be strong. And to be explosive, you also have to be strong. So you have to be able to generate force very quickly. And then if you don't have that, you're not going to be able to run as fast, cut as hard, play your sport well. 
it's going to be discouraging and it could lead to some injuries if you're not well prepared for that. And one thing you'll notice with all of these is that your body has a use it or lose it principle. If you don't use a certain attribute, strength, training your muscle size, practicing movements and all that stuff, you lose it. It sucks, but your body it takes a lot for your body to maintain a high a high level of strength uh movement control and all these things and if you don't consistently practice it and kind of give your body a reason to be good with it it's just going to be like yep nope not important we have other things to focus on and it sucks it bugs me too but we're gonna have to get over that and start with proper training so Next up is atrophy, or as I, like I said, is decreased muscle size. Now, for most people, this isn't the biggest problem because uh, not every sport relies on you being big, per se. Like Your size doesn't play a huge role. But, of course, you know when your sport um, requires you to be a certain size. For example, if you play a contact sport, football, ba- uh, and I, I, when I say contact, I mean a sport that can include contact. So football, basketball, soccer, wrestling, other combat sports rugby things like that having some size is important because you have to deal with other people making contact with you and having now i'm not saying let's say you're a soccer player to get beefed up and look like a football player but i'm saying a little a couple more pounds in size maybe five pounds ten pounds max if you've really lost a lot of weight can go a long way with you being able to resist the pressure from other people being heavier means that they're gonna have to deal with more weight and it, and um it can help you it just help make things a little bit easier. Now, muscle size also follows the use it or loser principle uh, because muscles are very metabolically taxing, meaning they require a lot of your, uh, re- uh, like a lot of nutrition, a lot of these resources to maintain. It takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of protein, and it's a lot of work uh, on your body to make sure that your muscles stay a certain size. So if you don't properly stimulate your body with exercise, uh, your muscle size decreases and then that could have an effect also um the fact that you atrophy can also play an, uh, a part in strength that's one component of strength uh that helps is just kind of muscle size something i can get into more in another in a later episode but uh having bigger muscles can help uh with strength not it's not a perfect correlation but it can help next up is stiffness and lack of mobility now if you're doing school from home, you're doing work from home, um, and also the, the, the fact that you're not really going out to school, walking around as much, you're mainly sitting, you're going to get stiff. And that's all just caused by being primarily sedentary. I know for me personally, if I don't do some sort of mobility work and stretching every day to feel nice and loose, I stiffen up real bad because I'm sitting most of the day. I don't, I, I can't really go outside very much. And then uh, it just doesn't feel good for the workouts. It doesn't feel good even to sit later on. Going to sleep is not the best. And for most people, the muscles that are tight, as as well as a couple movements that get tight, are the hip flexors, the adductors slash groin. It's basically your inner thigh and groin area that get tight. Hamstrings, your pecs, so your chest, your lats, one of the big muscles in your back. Uh, Then the movements that are stiff are the dorsiflexion. If If you listen to episode three, uh, you know, dorsiflexion is kind of when you bring your foot towards your shin. So plantar flexion is when you point your toes. Dorsiflexion is the opposite. And then there's also external rotation of the hips, something that's, that's big with I, that I talked about in episode three again. And external rotation of the shoulders is something that you lose as well because of the way you sit. And if you think about it right now, if you're listening to this while you're sitting down, 
uh, there's a high chance that you're you're sitting down with your feet more or less flat on the ground, so your knees are at a 90 degree angle. This is going to bring your make shorten your hamstrings uh, and not put them in like a lengthened position. It's going to put them in a shortened position, and that's why they get stiff. Your hip flexors are going to be in a shortened position as well. Your groin and adductors are going to be fairly close together unless you know you sit with a very wide stance, but I, most people don't do that. Your pecs are going to be tight because you're kind of hunt, you might be hunched over on a laptop all day. They're going to be in a shortened position and therefore they're going to get tight. Your lats are also going to be tight because you're never really raising your arm above your head. That's typically when they get stretched. Dorsiflexion doesn't get any work either because how often do you put yourself in a dorsiflex position unless maybe that's how you sit. I don't really know. I certainly don't put myself in a dorsiflex position when I sit, so my dorsiflexion goes out the window when I, if I don't train it properly. And then you're also not really in an externally rotated position with the hips or shoulders at anyways. So again, if you're not putting yourself in those positions to work on that mobility, you're going to lose it. And it sucks, but it's the way it is. One issue with having tight pecs and having kind of your shoulders hunched forward is that it wrecks uh, your posture. It makes you slouch forward because and then it, the shoulders not only get brought forward, but also the upper back starts to lean forward. Your neck starts to lean forward as well. And bad posture uh, doesn't really correlate well with uh, good performance. And especially if if you have the if you have shoulders in a bad position, if your sport requires you to do a lot of work with your shoulders, i.e. you're a quarterback for football, you play baseball, you do volleyball, basketball, it's going to take a big toll on your shoulders. The next up is stability. And like I said, there's two factors for this. There's lack of strength, like I mentioned, but there's also lack of coordination. So now if if your muscles may be strong, like these stabilizers might be strong on their own, but if you don't coordinate them when you're doing various exercises or movements and they're not active, then essentially they're useless. Now you're going to be better off with them being strong and uncoordinated as opposed to weak and uncoordinated, but it's still not optimal. You need to be able to coordinate these. So when you take a step, muscles, the muscles need to fire to protect the joint because if, if the muscles, the, the muscles around the joints that stabilize the joint are not active and they're not able to support the joint when necessary, then the other connective tissues around the, the joints, the IE, basically the ligaments of the joint are going to take the toll and those can only take so much stress before they snap. And trust me, when they snap, you'll feel it. It'll hurt. It'll suck. So it's being able to coordinate these muscles is very important. Next up that has to do a lot with coordination is neural control of the body. So the way your body uh, moves essentially is with the the nervous system. The nervous system is your brain, uh, the spinal cord, and basically all the nerves that come out of that. That is what your nervous system is. Now it can get a little more complicated, but the, that's really all we have to focus on right now. Keep it simple. Um, when, uh, when you want to move, your brain uh, gets a command, and then it sends it down your spinal cord to the appropriate muscles, and then they'll move accordingly. When, when you haven't practiced certain things, such as common movements, movement patterns in your sport, um, these become less efficient. Your, body, your, your brain isn't as good at setting out these commands, and then when it comes for you to do them, they feel awkward, they feel foreign, and not as then you're not able to do them as well uh, due to the fact that you just haven't done them. And 
if you're not able to perform the common movement patterns that you have in your sport as well as you used to, then you're just not going to be as good of an athlete, and it's going to be it's going to be annoying uh, getting back into it. Now, there's a couple other things I want to include with the neural control of the body. It's not just being able to uh, have the proper movement patterns uh, related to your sport. It's also a matter of rate of force development. So how fast can you produce force um, from like a go? You know, this is very important for things such as speed and explosiveness because there's a lot of things that go on just to make your muscles contract. There's a bit of a delay. It's called electromechanical delay, which is basically how fast um, it's the delay that's caused from your muscles receiving the electrical signal from your from your brain to them actually being able to produce force. Now, this is a very small delay, but it can make a big difference um, when you want to do things uh, very fast. It's it's a very it's a very nuanced thing, but it's very important to work on. It's why things such as plyometrics are super important. It's why things such as high intensity Olympic lifting can be very good because it forces you to produce force, a high amount of force, very fast. And it's a very difficult thing to do. But you can work on it. It can get better and you can overcome uh, this little delay. It's never going to be zero because that's it's impossible. But it can be improved upon. The last component of neurocontrol is the reflexes and proprioception. So this is so when I say reflexes, I mean uh, an external stimulus uh, place on your body, like someone hitting you, and then you being able to react to that appropriately to maintain balance or uh, move in a controlled way, thus limiting injury. And proprioception, like I said in the last episode, is basically your body's ability to know where it is in space. This, this has a bit of a stability component in it too, because a lot of proprioception uh, work is done with the ankles and stuff like that. Like I've mentioned before, standing on one leg in uh, episode three. Standing on one leg is a big one that helps with proprioception. And it is very closely related to stability. So having good proprioception will most often correlate to having good stability as well. So the two are very closely linked. Next up is robustness and durability of your body. Now, this also goes a couple ways. One of them is kind of building up in like quote unquote armor. So this is kind of like building up some muscle, getting maybe a little bit of fat on there so that if you do get hit, such as if you play a sport such as football or rugby, if you get hit, it's not going to hurt as much. But it's also kind of uh, your joints and muscles being able to handle the stress that your that your sport places on your body. Doing things like jumping, landing, running, stopping, starting, changing direction, all of these things take a huge toll on your body when they're done repeatedly. And in order to be able to play your sport and last in your sport for a long time, you need to build up the necessary tolerance to these forces that are going through your body to then eventually um, not uh, having to worry about it because your body can handle it. Now, if you try to do too much too quickly and you haven't prepared properly for your sport, uh, your muscle, your joints are gonna have to are gonna feel sore. Eventually, they might even fail, and that's when you get an injury. This is why many uh, teams have like a training camp beforehand, where in a way they kind of overload their uh, their players in a very controlled way, so that when it comes to game time, it's a lot easier. And we'll get more into this later. The last piece is conditioning. Everyone hates this. But it is very necessary because the last thing you want is to just not be able to recover and last the entire duration of your sport. It's a it's very demoralizing to 
gas out and then just be on the field and you're trying to do what you can to help out but your body's just not moving it's very debilitating i've been there and it's not fun so it's a super important uh thing to work on obviously it's it's one of the things that you lose the quickest but it's also one of the things you gain back fairly quickly so now depending on your sport this can mean a few different things it could mean that you're unable to last long enough in your sport so you don't have the stamina because you're it's a your, your sport is very long but it could also mean that you're unable to recover quickly enough between plays. So this is a big one for football. Football is like four to six, six second plays on average. And then you have, you know, 30-ish seconds, a minute in between as they set up the next play. So so you have to be able to go 100, 100% for those four to six seconds and then be able to recover as much as possible in, uh, in the time in between. So that on the next play, you can also go 100%. All of this may seem a little overwhelming because it is a lot of information and seven areas to think about improving upon is a lot, but you'd be surprised how many of these you can improve with a proper program. One that has a good warm-up, a warm-up that contains uh, mobility work and some stability work and activation work, things like that. A proper lifting section, one that addresses uh, the hypertrophy issues and the strength issues, strength issues primarily, we'll get into that in a sec. Uh, and then a proper cool down that can allow you to, you know, kind of loosen up the muscles before you go to train the next day. This is all going to be things that we talk about uh, later on and how we can address all these little things. And also having a good workout program is going to help with the some of the neuro, neuro control issues, some of which being the proprioception and balance and the other being working on movement patterns. So with loss of strength and hypertrophy, you can actually pair these together when it comes to what you should do in the gym. So when you're getting back in your sport, the repeti repetition uh, range that you want to use should typically be a little higher. This is for a couple of reasons. Uh, first and foremost is because your body's not going to be able to handle higher weights. Um, hand the higher weights are going to place a bigger stress on your body, and it's not it's not ideal. You're going to feel too sore, and you might even just get injured if you're doing something like squatting, and you're and you're like, okay, you know what? I used to be able to do this weight, like 300 pounds for six. And I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go do that again. I can, I can almost guarantee that you're not gonna get six. I can also almost guarantee that you're not gonna feel good doing it. So, start lighter, lighter, humble yourself, because you're gonna be weaker. Go for, I'd say eight to ten reps, or even ten to fifteen if you're either really detrained or a novice lifter. Going higher and a little lighter is gonna be better because. You will be able to practice the movements. Every time you lift a weight, it is almost as if you're practicing the weight. Your body is going to be able to get better at lifting the weight. That's why the first time you do a bench press or any exercise, it feels weird. But you do it for a few months, and then it starts to feel a little better. You do it for a couple of years, if it just feels good. You, lo you look forward to doing it. It gets, that, it gets that enjoyable, you know? So go with the higher rep range. Um, you want to have a higher volume because then you can also work on some hypertrophy. Hypertrophy ideally is in the you know eight to fifteen to twenty range. Twenty I think is a bit excessive unless maybe you're doing arms or shoulders as a finisher. But for your main lifts, eight to ten or ten to fifteen, depending on how trained you are. And for the first week, you want to start off with two sets, I'd say, because you don't want to do too much volume. And volume refers to workload that you're doing. You don't want your your workload to be too high, because then you won't be able to recover. If you can't recover, then it's gonna put it's gonna set you back. 
and it's not a good thing. The biggest mistake people make when they get back into training, is like I need to do so much right now because I need to, I need to, uh, I need to get back to this. This is, I haven't done anything, so I have to make up for it. And it's like, no, 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 relax, calm down. All you have to do is enough to stimulate your body. And in the first week, that could mean doing very little, but it could still stimulate you. Then the next week you do a little more. Next week you do a little more, more, and you keep building up after the, after that. It's just basic progressive overload. So start a little easier than you think you should. Worst case, the next week you go up. It's never a bad thing to be a little lighter and then just know that, okay, this week I can go up a little more. Keep it simple. Keep it light. You don't want to injure yourself. You don't want to over, overtrain because then you're going to be setting yourself back a week, if not more. So with mobility, this one can be a whole episode on its own. But to get into it quickly, um, you're going to want to work on those movements that I talked about before. So the hip flexors, adductors, or groin, like the inner thigh, hamstrings, pecs, lats. You want to get that dorsiflexion going, and then the external rotation for the hips, and the external rotation for the shoulders. Now, just a quick few exercises that you can throw in to your warm-ups and cool-downs. And the way you do them for the warm-ups and cool-downs in my opinion, should be a little different. The whole debate on static stretching being used for warm-ups and whether or not it's good, it can it's a little uh, divisive, but I'll give you my take on it. So for warm-ups, I don't like static stretching for warm-ups. Uh, I'd rather do more dynamic stretching where you take yourself through a stretch by moving. And you can do this with a full-blown movement that's meant to be dynamic in nature or with the stretches that you are doing that are typically static in nature, you move through a range of motion in order to feel the stretch. So you move into a deeper stretch to make sure you feel it, then you back off a little bit. And this you typically do with two second holds where you really feel the stretch and then you back off and you do it again. For this, I just recommend doing six to eight reps uh, per side if there are sides for the exercise in order to get the most out of it. Uh, if you're doing them as a cool down, then hold them for 30 seconds or however long you need to, to feel nice and loose. So let's get into the stretches real quick. For the hip flexors, classic is just a deep lunge, getting into a deep lunge, squeezing the glute of the leg that is back, and then making sure you feel it on the front of your hip. This one uh, I mentioned last week for the knees. This one's a great one because it, it's great for lower back pain if you're sitting all day and, you're, and you're, you feel your hips tight, your back sore. This one will help open up your back. You'll feel nice. Trust me, this is a game changer. For the adductors groin, the classic one you can do is just sitting with your legs apart on the ground and then reaching down the middle. Reaching side to side is going to get more of your hamstrings. So you can include hamstrings with this one. Reaching down the middle is what's going to get you the, the stretch on the groin and inner thigh. You can also do butterflies. And one that I mentioned last week as well is groin rockers. Great exercise because they get the entire inner thigh from front to back feels great hamstrings i'm sure you guys know a bunch um do whichever one you like but like i said last episode make sure that your back is straight whenever you do them you'll get more out of the exercise out of the stretch rather pecs uh one that i like doing is on a door frame you go to a door frame put your uh, arm up to be in line with your shoulder and then just walk through the door frame and bring your arm back you'll feel a nice stretch across your pec you can even raise your arm so that it's about like a 45 degree with your shoulder. And then you can get another stretch there. For the lats, you can also use a door frame. 
you can uh, grab onto the door frame at about, we'll say hip height, uh, and just lean back. And then make sure you let your shoulder go. So don't hold on with your shoulder. Let your shoulder be pulled forward, and you'll feel it. I forgot to mention that when you pull back, your back should be close to parallel with the ground so that you feel it the most. Like I said, you only really get a stretch with your lats when your arms are above your head. Dorsiflexion, I mentioned this one last week as well. Single leg downward dog where you start with your, your leg straight with your heel with, with you trying to t make your heel touch the ground and then you bend it while maintaining as much dorsiflexion throughout the entire movement. Do this one slowly, take, make it take like five seconds um, to go from straight to bent and then five seconds from bent to straight. Feels great. Do it for five reps aside and that's all you need. External rotation of the hips. So one that uh, is very, very uh, simple to do. Basically just get into a deep squat and then push your knees out with your elbows. This will, this is also just a great warm up for squatting because it'll uh, create the mobility necessary for you to squat. So you can work on both practicing for squats and opening up your hips. For external rotation of the shoulders, one that is very good is if you have a bar, a broomstick, or some long rod to put on your back. You put it on your back. You have your arms uh, close to your shoulders, gripping the bar, and you just try to move your elbows forward, if that makes sense. I'm not sure the name of this of this exercise. I hope I've described it properly. It's very hard to describe things with your voice. It's one thing I'm really noticing. Um, but if you... If you do this one, this is great for if you want to do cleans because it opens up the shoulders immensely. It's what I used to do before every cleaning session I did for every time I did a, a power clean and things like that because it made catching the bar so much easier. It was never a limiting factor because initially it was kind of awkward to catch the bar because I didn't have the mobility. But once I got the mobility, catching the bar was, was easy and it was just a matter of making sure that the bar got up high enough and I was able to get underneath it afterwards rather than having the shoulder mobility necessary. For stability, there, like I said, there are two um, components, the strength and the coordination. Uh, the strength component is gonna come from you isolating these muscles and strengthening them individually. And then when it comes to uh, coordinating them, there are a couple exercises I can give, but it's gonna just uh, be a matter of you doing uh, functional exercises forcing yourself to use stabilizers when you are training. If you don't make yourself use them while you're training, they're not necessarily going to be as reliable when you're playing your sport. So there's a couple areas of your body that you want to work on. There's the shoulders, the hips, and most importantly, the core. Because the core is what connects your lower body with your upper body. It's how you transfer force from your feet to your hands. If that's weak, you're going to get moved around, pushed around and someone's going to be better than you. So let's start with the shoulders. The shoulders, um, you want to strengthen the muscles around the, the sh what's known as a shorter shoulder girdle. It's kind of what protect, what kind of holds your shoulder. Your shoulder is a very weird joint. It's primarily held together by muscles as opposed to joints. It's kind of a floating joint, I like to think of it. So you have to strengthen the mu musculature of your lower back around your shoulder blades because that, that's what really stabilizes your your shoulders. One that I like to do is called a band pull apart. So you have your, you're holding a band, arms in front, and basically you pull apart 
the band and you try to bring your shoulder blades together as you're pulling the part band apart until your arms get uh, in line with your body and the band touches your chest and then you just move it back. Great exercise if you have a band. Now, if you don't have a band, there's a, a small variation. It's, known as called, it's called a T and there's a little complex that you can do called T's, W's, Y's, and O's. All the T is is you lay down on your stomach, you make a T with your body, and the same thing, you bring your shoulder blades together. You bring your shoulder blades together and lift your arms off the ground. A W, same concept, but your arms, but you, you're in a T, let's say you're in a T, you just bend your elbows to be 90 degrees and you're making a W with your two arms and head. And you do the same thing. You lift your arms off the ground and uh, bring your shoulder blades together. A Y is you make a Y with your body, like you're doing the YMCA. Thumbs up and the same thing. You're bringing your arms off the ground and bring your shoulder blades together and down. And then an O, this one might be a little difficult to, to describe, but again, you're on your stomach. You are, you have your hands on your head as if you're being detained. And then you bring them down to your back. So your arms are behind your back as if then you're getting arrested. While you're doing this motion, you're making sure that your arms are as high above the ground as possible. Okay. So you go from behind the head to behind the back and then back up to your head. Not the greatest way to think about it, but kind of helps describe how to do the exercise. So anyways, moving on next is band external rotations. And for simplicity's sake, I'm just going to recommend you guys go look this up on YouTube or Google or something, because it'll just save you a lot of confusion by me trying to explain what it is and what external rotation is and how to perform the movement. So just go look it up, watch a couple videos. You'll get the gist of it. It's a very simple movement, but it's very important for stabilizing the shoulder, especially if you play sports such as football, rugby, if you're going for a stick, stiff arm or a handoff, as they like to call it. Um, things of that nature. Also, if you're, if you're playing uh, volleyball or basketball and you're using your shoulders a lot, again, this will require a lot of work. For the hips, there are two exercises that I absolutely love doing. One of them is the banded lateral walk that I talked about before in episode three, uh, where you place a band knee height or ankle height, and you basically just move side to side, leading with the knee. And then there's also this thing called a monster walk, and you basically you, you again tie the band on your knees or ankles, and your legs are as are far apart in a wide athletic stance, and you take wide long steps forwards and wide long steps backwards. This will get all the muscles of the hips. They will it'll burn, and it'll feel great because then you'll have very stable, very stable legs. Uh, it feels it feels great to do. Make sure you're doing them slowly. And and controlled. The other benefit that this has is that um, by taking the steps every time, as opposed to just kind of isolating the muscles, it then adds a bit of functionality to the exercises because you have to be able to stabilize uh, everything that's going on on one leg at a time. And it's a bit of added benefit like that. So if you don't have mini bands, I highly recommend them. They're not, they're not expensive at all. And they're a great investment into your, uh, your arsenal of training. And lastly, like I said, the most important one is core. Uh, I, I talk more about core in episode two when we talk about functional training, but just to get into it really quickly, the core training that I think a vast majority of athletes need to do, especially at the lower levels, is where the, the and while you're doing the exercise, your spine does not move and the muscles of the core are used to resist motion as opposed to create motion. 
because most of the time if you really take the time to, to sit down and think about what does the core do it mainly resists motion as opposed to create motion even in the exercise in the movements where there's like some rotation going on such as like a baseball uh, player swinging the bat he's not really creating motion with his core he's creating motion with his hips and then the motion created from his hips has to translate up the spine to his arm so that he can swing the bat and in order for that to happen very effectively his core has to be strong to allow that force to travel as opposed to having that force kind of dissipate so like if for example that, that's why uh, as a baseball player having strong core is very important now a few a few simple exercises that you can do that resist motion and are you know quote unquote functional and are very simple to do that i think most people can do are just planks side planks supermans um, and another one that's a bit it's a bit harder to do but i recommend you guys check out is called a plank rotation basically you start on one side in a side plank move slowly over into a regular plank and then move on to the other side into a side plank so just a few exercises that you can do to really improve your core training. Core training does not have to be very complicated. It's not all these, you know, sit-ups with med balls and going nuts and beating yourself up. Planks, side planks, supermans, maybe some plank rotations. Uh, change You can change it up. Dead bugs are also very good uh, for building kind of those deeper muscles. But ultimately with these, all you need to do is raise maybe the, uh, the amount of time, the duration that you do them with. Maybe you increase the reps. In some circumstances, maybe for planks, you can throw some weight on your back, but I, it's, it's, that's very, that's up to you. Um, probably better just to increase the, the duration. But yeah, those, those few exercises, great options for core. Really take the time to develop your core uh, a few times a week because it is super critical for uh, stabilization of the entire body and it'll just make you a better athlete overall. Moving on to neurocontrol. Now, this varies from sport to sport very much because the movements you do, you know, ultimately uh, depend on your sport. But you know your sport and then take some time to go and do drills that you used to do. If you play basketball, you go through your uh, your motions for shooting, dribbling, you get some layups. You know what you, know what you need to work on. You know what you need to do. But start this off at uh, a uh, very low pace. And don't make it very difficult on your body. Your body's just getting back into it. You don't want to do too much. Stretch yourself out too far and then not be able to um, to progress the next week. But as you get better for it and as it starts to feel easier, you want to get yourself to the point to where it's harder than the actual game. Now, I like to think of this as like the Spartan philosophy. Uh, one of my friends who studies history was telling me this one time that uh, Spartans almost used to enjoy going to war because their training was by far much more brutal than actual war was, at least the wars that they were fighting. This kind of philosophy goes into, will play into robustness, but it, it you kind of want your practicing to end up being harder than the game. You want the drills you do to be a step above the complexity of what is necessary to go out and play uh, during game time. But now, I'm not saying you go nuts and beat yourself up in practice. Do what, what you what you are capable of doing and but work up to it. You know? Make sure that at some point, like you look forward to games because it's you get to play your sport, but it's not even not even half as hard as practice. It's just fun. You get to go out and ball out, have a great time, and you're able to survive, feel good, and enjoy. 
playing the sport, rather it's beating the crap out of you. Now, with, if we're going to talk about rate of force development, this one's a bit of a tricky one to develop because it's very, uh, it has also a mental aspect to it because it requires maximum effort um, for you to do it, like maximum volition. So you need to, you need to want to do it um, as hard as you can for those drills. So the simplest way I can, simplest few exercises that are kind of general and broad that can work for most sports that I can say are things like just doing sprints, starting a line in like a two point stance and then like a nice ready position and just go, just sprint. Uh, this could also be box jumps or sorry, squat jumps. Um, basically a squat jump is, is where you start in a, uh, the bottom of a squat position at about 90 degrees, we'll say of, uh, of knee bend. And then without any, any sort of counter movement. So you start from a completely still, you just explode up. It's one simple exercise you could do. Or you can do a box squat jump, which is basically you're sitting on a box and you fire up and you jump. So both of those work, both of those do the same thing. Cause you all, cause with, with all the three of these things, you start from a standstill and it forces you to explode out. Um, and then this is what can help you over time, overcome most of the electrical mechanical delay and make yourself, uh, uh be able to produce force as fast as possible. And the last part of Neural control is uh, proprioception. Like I've already mentioned, body's ability to know where it is in space. So this helps with balance and reflexes and things like that. So doing the single, so doing a lot of single leg exercises is very good for this. And then even just standing on one leg, it's uh, it's one thing I talked about in last week's episode. So I'm not really going to get into into it now, but if you want to check it out, it's in there. It's closer to the end of the episode, I believe. If you just want to skim through it and hear, listen to that. Now, a bonus thing that you might want to do uh, that can help out with this is practicing how you land because landing is where many leg injuries occur. Jumping is not dangerous. Landing is dangerous. Or landing is what makes jumping dangerous, I guess. Um, so doing things like depth drops where you take a step off a box, start small. Again, start small. Don't jump off a five-foot box. Jump off a 12-inch box. And then land in an athletic stance. So that basically means... Knees bent uh, enough so you can move well, hips bent, and then heels just barely off the ground. You want to be able to slide a credit card underneath them, but that's it. And then land and hold it and be stable. One way you can, once you really get really good at that, I don't recommend jumping off of anything more than two feet. Just want to put that out there. No more than two feet is not that necessary. Unless you can jump more than two feet, like you can jump like 40 inches, then maybe I see the purpose of it, but most people. Don't jump much higher than two feet. No need to to do more than two feet. Once you get very good at that, one thing you can do is land, jump, is fall rather, fall off, land, and then move in a direction. Just do a shuffle right, shuffle left, or a step forward, and that will help you uh, when it comes to game time when you have to land and then quickly move and go in a different direction. I know, I know this is big for football. If you're a receiver or a DB or anybody that ever uh, has to handle a ball. After they jump, catch it, and then land, being able to then control yourself and then move in a direction is going to be very important. Now, you, one thing you can also do is uh, single leg. So go from uh, uh, fall off the box and land on one leg. Again, do this maximum off of one foot. It's very taxing on your body and low reps. The next one is robustness. So like I said, Spartan philosophy, you want to be able to handle more than your game throws at you. 
and uh, through training and through practice, this is where you develop this. Now, again, you don't want to go overboard. You don't want to, you know, kill yourself in practice, but you want to, you want to make it hard. So, and uh, the other thing is this, this takes time. So it takes time to build up muscle. It takes time to build up the strength necessary for your body to be able to protect itself and handle all this, uh, all the stress placed by your sport. So take your time with this. Don't overdo it. If you're finding that after, after it, after a, a training session, it's, you're feeling like as if you did nothing, you just walked, bump it up a little bit, but don't go to make yourself sore. Go to make yourself feel properly, uh, properly stimulated. We'll say. Because your body doesn't adapt to extreme amounts of stress, but it adapts to just a little bit more stress and just a little bit more stress. And that's where your body will be like, okay, I can handle this. Let's get a little better next time. Okay, I can handle this. We're going to get better. Little by little, it'll add up and you'll be surprised what you can do in a month. It will just little small increases. And lastly, finally, everyone's absolute favorite conditioning and cardiovascular fitness. So like I said, you know, it's everyone's favorite. People, people love this. They coach says, get on the line. We're doing conditioning. Everyone's cheering because they're just excited. Um, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, this really depends on your sport. Um, like I said, like for football, it's short bursts, but you have to be able to recover quickly in between the bursts. Soccer has periods of jogging and, you know, moderate paced, uh, running. Um, interspersed with short bursts of speed. So you have to be able to have the stamina to last the entire game while being able to then also sprint at full speed to do whatever is necessary. And then rugby is on a similar boat as that as well. So um, with that being said, you want to really sit down and um, think about what does my sport ask of me? Because many coaches believe the best way to do conditioning is by playing the sport. And in many ways, they're right. Now, the only issue with that is that you tire out your athletes while they're playing their sport, and then the chances of injury skyrocket. So that's why oftentimes conditioning is separate uh, from actually playing the sport. Instead of, instead of playing your sport, you just do the running that your sport requires so that you can limit injury. So when it comes to you doing your own conditioning, think about, okay, what does my sport ask of me? Okay, now how can I mimic that? with my training. So if you have to do short bursts, do 15, 20 yard sprint, rest for 30 seconds, do it again. Or you can even make it harder. Do a 30 second sprint and then rest a minute, something like that. If you have to do um, periods of jogging with sprints in between, one thing that I've seen a lot of people do is on a field, they jog the length of the field and then once they get to the corner, they sprint across jog the length of the field, sprint across again. They do something like that because that intersperses the jogging and the sprinting. And then you do that for, let's say the first time, for the first day you do it, you do one lap. Next time you do it, you do two. The following week, you do three and you build it up like that. And just simply play around with it. Like I said, think about what your sport asks of you and make something similar. Be creative. It's, it's, it's a time to have fun where you can make it a complete science. It's not exactly necessary to become a complete science, especially if you're just getting back in. Start light, build it up over time. Now, 
So that was a lot, I know. But that's kind of the basics of what I think most athletes need to start focusing on, especially now that sports for most, at least in Canada, are coming back. And some of us might be a little bit out of shape, may not have been in the gym enough, yada, yada, yada. You know, if you're in high school, school's finishing up, so you only have exams. Getting a workout in is a great way to take a break from school. You can feel nice and good, get a good pump. You know, life is better with a pump, so, you know, get something in. And if you're and if you're in university, you've been done school now for a month and a bit. So, you know, get off your ass, get yourself in a weight room. You don't want to wait any longer to get started if you haven't already, because trust me, it's gonna the the sports are gonna come up fast, and if you don't feel prepared, it'll just it'll hurt. Trust me, it's not gonna be fun. As always, if you guys have any questions about anything that I say in an episode in an episode. My DMs are always open on Instagram at manoa.athletics or shoot me an email at manoa.athletics and I will try to get try to get back to you as uh, quickly as I can. With that being said, if you're still listening, I truly appreciate you. It really means a lot. If you'd like, you can follow Manoa on Instagram at manoa.athletics. It's the best place to stay up to date with all future things regarding Manoa. It's also a great place to ask questions. Let me know what you think. I'll get back to you as best as I can. My name is Yanis Pitsakis, and we'll talk more next time. Thank you.